You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to the best possible taste with me, Sharon Noonan, on West Limerick 102 FM. On tonight's show, we have a trio of very talented but different chefs. Geraldine is out and about as usual in her beloved Kerry. And if you're looking for the wow factor for your garden, we have the solution for you. Let me tell you how to get in touch with the programme before we get started. You can drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, which is short for organisation. Before we came on air, Geraldine and I were chatting about the weather and to be honest, we're not faring too badly this year in terms of sunshine and being able to enjoy time outdoors. If you've plans for a few day trips coming up and if it possibly includes packing a picnic, our first guest tonight, Chef Tom Flavin of the Limerick Strand Hotel is in studio now to give you some ideas. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Chef Tom Flavin from the Limerick Strand Hotel is here tonight and Tom, it's all about the perfect picnic. Well, it, I don't know about perfect, but it's about a picnic that suits you and suits everybody in your party, I suppose. When was the last time you were on a picnic? On Sunday. And what did you have? We had um, boily ghost cheese and um, I think we had a chutney, a jar of chutney and some crackers. There was some lovely crackers. We got some crackers on the way back and went into Super Value in Ballybunion and bought the this lovely cheese, boily ghost cheese Collini and had it on crackers with some nice ch- homemade chutneys. It was lovely. Was it with the secret ingredient pear chutney? Yeah, yeah the pear chutney. Lovely, yeah. Those were relish. Very it's, nice. And it's, it's handy. It's You put it into the, the picnic basket or the, the ice box with a couple of bags of crushed ice, a few bottles of water. It all keeps it nice and cold. Sit on the beach and just munch away all day. And would May and Jack eat that? They're not that gone on the cheese now, but they love the crackers and ham and they have um, couscous salad, things like, just easy things like that that you can pop into the lunchbox and bring it back. Some noodles, Jack likes noodles with sweet chilli sauce, a bit of chicken chopped up into there, a few peppers, that kind of stuff. So whenever you're going for a picnic with the kids, that's the sort of thing that you would take along? Yeah, it's something that they'll eat. Um, tuna, tin tuna, or the packets of tuna, John West, um, in the pack, I think it's lime and black pepper. They're just so handy. You just tear open the pack onto some crackers or a French stick or something like that and just, you know, you know you're going to eat the whole packet between the three or four of you that are there, you know, so it's, it's great. The kids love that kind of stuff. And if you were actually doing a sort of a picnic, it was higher end, maybe where you wanted to impress a few people. Say, say a fellow was going to propose to the girlfriend, what would you be telling him to put into the, the picnic basket, apart from the bottle of champers, of course? Oh, some, and some strawberries, definitely. Um, well, last year we went to Dan Melanda on the mustard seed for a picnic and we brought some of our own duck wraps and they travelled really well. We, we made them up that morning, we cooked the duck in the morning. Um, one of our own ducks chopped it up some hoisin sauce made I think we made about 50 wraps we made I think we used two ducks two big ducks um, rolled up the wraps tied them with a little bit of chive and into the steam baskets a little bit of spring onion cucumber crispy duck the kids absolutely love it love it and well everybody loved it we were down you know we we shared our picnic down there with them and that'd be that'd be nice I'd like that yeah that's it's nice actually whenever there's a crowd like that if everybody brings yeah, one brings particular thing to feed everybody. Yeah. And it's lovely. and It just goes down well. One, you know, you don't have to serve them warm. You know, they don't have to be stone 
cold out of the fridge either. You know, you, you, the duck travels well. In the refrigerated van, of course. In our refrigerated um Picnic box. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> With the ice bags on the bottom. <laughs> well, I think that was a good tip, actually, you had before about, you know, having some crushed ice that you're maybe yeah. going to use in the bottles of exactly. water that are chilled so that you're not taking up space with the, the cool. Mm-hmm. And bring the cordial or whatever on the side then so that you don't, not everybody has to drink orange squash or ribena or whatever it might be and sit the bottles. It keeps the water lovely and cold and the water then in turn keeps the the salad's called the couscous or the noodles or whatever it is you have in the basket and if you wanted to make something like homemade lemonade this is something that Geraldine and I were talking about before we started recording tonight just with the nice weather like homemade lemonade sounds just so lovely and refreshing how would you go about making that well you make a stock syrup and just add some lemon zest lemon juice to it and then if you're so lucky to have a soda stream they've been they've come they're retro they're coming back aren't they you just put a bit of fizz into it or you can make um, elderflower cordials are absolutely gorgeous this time of year there's a few left on the trees this this week I just saw them there we went for a walk down by the railway today it's a must they're absolutely beautiful you just infuse the elderflowers in a little bit of sugar and water it's you can't beat it it's lovely you need to strain it just don't boil it strain it and just leave the particles settle on the bottom lovely the kids love that as well and can you use that to make elderflower fizz how do you make that that's an alcohol yeah I'm not sure exactly how to make that well, I'm yeah. sure Google will tell yeah, us I've, I've seen that on Twitter now I'd say Karen from Canmare Foodies has made that recently and got a recipe yeah I got a bottle from Coletta Farrell down in Kurt Chase once as well it's yeah. beautiful stuff it nice? I, it's gorgeous absolutely gorgeous yeah, I know now my sister-in-law was making it a couple of years ago and it was meant to be for Christmas. I don't know what became of it. I obviously wasn't here because I don't remember partaking in it. But I think it's nice if you can make your own drinks as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. Elderflower gin. It's absolutely gorgeous. We made bottles of it for the Strand last year. We made a cocktail. The Tom Flavins, not the Tom Collins. It's uh, it sold out, it's, it's gone. Yeah, great name for yeah, it. Yeah, so we need to make another few batches of that before the, all the lovely flowers turn to berries. <laughs> Whenever you're picnicking, would you ever bring along one of those little disposable barbecues? I've done it a few times. It's not great, to be honest, because unless you bring another one in case you don't have enough flame on your fire, you know, you can, it, you're just asking for trouble, to be honest, unless you have very thin, small little sausages that are going to cook on a, on a barbecue. They're not ideal, I think. Not when you're sitting on a beach somewhere and suddenly the fire goes out and you have a half-cooked sausage, you're just going to have to throw it away. Or if you pre-cook them and use it just maybe to heat them up. Yeah. Why would you want to heat them up? Well, tell me this now, because we have a bit of a dispute in our house about this. You cook up the sausages. If you're going out somewhere for the day, you cook up the sausages and you put them into a container, a plastic Tupperware container with a lid. You put them in, There's, you've got the kitchen roll underneath them, the kitchen paper underneath them, and you wrap them in that and you close them up and they're still hot whenever they go in there. No. No. <laughs> My husband's going no. to love you. <laughs> no. You have to, like, realistically, you can, you have an hour, an hour and a half to, to to eat them. Anything over that, you shouldn't. You need to keep them under five degrees or above 63 degrees. So you either want to keep them hot or cold. But in between is a big no-no. I'm still alive and I've never been sick. Mm. I suppose it depends what you're used to. Nobody's going to be eating any sausages that I've cooked up at picnics or barbecues now. Oh, just put the ice underneath them. They'll be absolutely fine. They'll last for ages like the scotch used to do it with scotch eggs um, the egg the boiled egg wrapped in in sausage meat deep fried 
and they, that's what they took for their lunch and they put them in their pocket and they brought them into the forest when they were chopping wood or wherever they did. That's where it came from. Okay. And they didn't die either, but I suppose it depends on what you're used to. But you shouldn't, like, you should really try and keep food either cold below 5 degrees or hot above 63. Anything in between, the bacterial growth is rampant. Okay. With boiled eggs, um, if you're doing hard boiled eggs, I, mm-hmm. sometimes you see them and there's black between the, the yolk and the white. Why does that happen? They're just overcooked. So, like, 10 minutes is plenty. You know, they're probably just boiled for too long. Drop them into boiling water. 10 minutes and then into ice water into ice water stop the cooking process okay so actually what maybe has happened is you're talking about them being overcooked people have had them in the water for 10 minutes and brought them out but they haven't done the ice cold water bit stop them cooking okay that's all it is because that's another handy thing to put into oh they're great yeah uh, yeah and a few dressings to mix with them French stick or a crusty roll or something like that it's perfect I think it's very handy if you can have things that you don't need any cutlery or you know you can use your hands use for your everything. hands or a spoon yeah just tear open the bread or, and dip a spoon into your jar of chutney and break off a piece of cheese into the bread roll oh there's nothing like it or bring a few sporks have you come across sporks? Yes, I have. I have. Yeah, they work. They're yeah. very handy yeah. now. They're the, like it's a spoon, a fork and a knife yeah. all in one. They're, they're brilliant. Have, yeah, they're very clever they'll actually. They'll spread the cheese or they'll, yeah. you know, they'll dig up the pasta yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. It's great. Any other hints or tips for us before you go? Just bring plenty of ice and keep the drinks cold and the drinks in the turn keep the salads <laughs> cold and keep the beer cold as well if you want to bring beer as well with you. That's good advice, Tom. Thanks so much for coming in. And um, don't forget now to invite me to the next one. I won't invite you to mine because you won't want to come and eat those sausages. (laughs) We'll see you on the beach in Ballybunny maybe on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Great inspiration there for the perfect picnic from Chef Tom Flavin of the Limerick Strand Hotel. If you don't fancy venturing further than the garden to indulge in some of Tom's ideas, then you might like to consider installing a pod at home so you can picnic in style. There's a company in County Wicklow called Podology that is creating some wonderful and unusual structures and I took a look whenever I was at Taste of Dublin in June. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. I'm here with Ida Brigi of Podology and you have a very novel product that people that like to eat out in their garden will be very interested in. Ida, tell us about that. Hi, how are you? Um, yes, we have garden pods. Um, they are architectural by design and contemporary by nature. Um, they're a lovely uh, haven for your garden, basically, where you can sit out and perhaps even just have a cup of tea in the morning, uh, have your lunch, um, have your friends over in the evening, have a glass of wine, uh, dine out in them, or just sit back and relax with a book. Um, so they're ideal for any of those uh, purposes. Now, they're sort of um, circular cylinders. Like, how, how would you describe the shape of them? Yeah, well, there are five different types altogether. The most popular one is circular, um, and it uh, comes comprises of Norwegian spruce arches, which are basically held together with a polycarbonate tinted, um, UV tinted uh, product, which protects you while you're in the pod. They also rotate 360 degrees, so you can follow the sun or indeed get out of the wind or rain which is probably 
uh, what we're more likely to have in this country. Um, and the, uh, the rotation um, is manual and it just really basically adds a new dimension to the pod. They also come complete with a solar panel which allows you to have lighting right out right up into the evening and into the night so you can use them 24-7 if you wish to. Now some of them have doors and some of them don't have doors is that yes. correct? Well they all, uh, four of them have uh, doors uh, the wheel bench is the, the newbie to the, to the family and um, it is like literally an open sphere, a circle and with some seating in it and basically people tend to use that where they can put it against a fence or a high hedge where one side of it is open. Um, and for anybody who might be a little bit claustrophobic, it's ideal. Or for somebody who might have just a courtyard garden or a small garden, patch in the garden maybe that they just want to put something, some seating and yet have some protection from the, the elements. And tell us what they come kitted out with, like there's tables and some of them, yes. seats, uh, like built-in furniture yeah. nearly. Basically, exactly, that's it. They come complete with the table. They, um, In most cases, you can have either a timber table or you can have stainless steel. Um, they also come with nice seating and extra cushions for comfort. And everything is included. As I said, they have the solar panel. And uh, there's also a little hook on the, the roof that you can hang a little lantern if you want to be romantic and have a candlelit dinner. And in terms of maintenance, then, because if it is spruce, it's a type of wood, type of timber. So yeah. to keep it looking its best, what would you have yeah. to do every year? Well, there's very low maintenance on them. The, the Norwegian spruce is uh, pressure treated and laminated. So um, basically, you really just need to, uh, I suppose, maintain that very easily by applying applying some oil. Any type of a wood oil is, is uh, sufficient. You don't varnish them because if you varnish, then, you know, it's going to crack and then you have to sand it down and that's not what you really want to be doing. If you're coastal, you would need to do that about every 12 to 18 months and if you're inland, about every two to three years is sufficient. And every other part of the pod then, you just literally use whatever you would use in the kitchen for cleaning the table or for cleaning the, the glass. Uh, nothing more specific than that to use, so it's very low maintenance. In terms of the price tag then, if somebody wanted to, to get one in their garden, what yeah. what do they start at? Okay, they start at four thousand seven hundred and fifty, um, and they go up to just under twenty three thousand. The uh, the lower priced one um, is the wheel bench that I mentioned, and it would hold about six people. The uh, higher end bracket then holds about fourteen people, and it's very plush. Comes with electrics and everything inside in it, so it's the the. Uh, the high-end one, if you like. And does the price include delivery installation, like that's it, in your garden, yes. ready to go? Yes, exactly. Basically, what you need is a, a flat surface for us to put it on. So that could be concrete, it could be paving slabs, or it could be paving, uh, sorry, decking. And um, two of our crew will come along in the morning, and if it is, for example, the rotating seater, which is the most popular one, um, they would have that built within six to eight hours, so by tea time you'd be able to sit out and enjoy a panoramic view of your garden, completely sheltered from all the elements. And once it's up, that's it, you don't move it around your garden, but if you move house... Yes, um, basically yes, you, you keep it in that one position, but if you're moving house, we can come and dismantle it for you, and then re-erect it in your new garden. 
Well, Ida, I think they look absolutely fabulous. I only have a postage stamp of a garden, so unfortunately I don't have room for one, but maybe one day. And for those that are interested in finding out more, your website is podology.ie. So it's P-O-D-O-L-O-G-Y.ie. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Still to come tonight, I meet chefs Monica Galetti and Stephen Toman. Monica works with Michelle Rue and has appeared on MasterChef UK as a judge. Stephen is the chef owner of Ox Restaurant in Belfast that has been opened just over a year and is getting rave reviews, so stay tuned for that. Next up, though, it's Geraldine O'Sullivan and her report from the Kingdom, which is looking at tapas. Perfect for the pod, Geraldine. <laughs> Now, Geraldine O'Sullivan brings you some tasty treats from the kingdom. So it's summertime and many of our listeners are going to be off on their holidays. And some of us may have had the chance to go to Spain or Portugal or somewhere on the Med in the past. You may have come across tapas restaurants over on your holidays. I'm here now and I'm joined by Kleena Foley and she runs a restaurant called Saudi Sombra in Calorgan in County Kerry and she's going to fill us in a little bit on the world of tapas. Welcome Kleena. Thanks Geraldine. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. So what inspired you to set up a tapas restaurant in Kerry? Um, Okay, well I suppose I'd love to be able to tell you that I had done a big due diligence in advance and a big business plan but um, that would be a lie. I come from a restaurant background. My family uh, run Nick's Restaurant, which is right next door to us here in Kilorglan. We grew up in the restaurant living upstairs, so the restaurant was part of our daily lives. Our, our lives revolved around what was ever happening in the restaurant. So, you know, it's an infectious lifestyle. Um, a lot of people will tell you that the restaurant business is a hard business to make money in or to survive in, but yet we all still can't get out of it we're, we're, we're too addicted to it coming from a, that, that restaurant background I studied in Dublin and then went on to the UK um, and worked in the wine industry for a while while I was in London I fell in love with Spanish wines while I was studying wine and moved to Spain so it was while I was in Spain then that um, I discovered the world of tapas and uh, and what an integral part of life it was to the Spanish and what a wonderful way of eating and meeting and living you know so um, when I came back to Ireland in 2002 my family had bought the old Church of Ireland which is where we are today Um, they didn't have a plan for it uh, but uh, it was such a fantastic building that they thought they couldn't miss up on on the opportunity so when I came back in 2002 we were kind of sitting around the table saying look what are we going to do with it it's an asset sitting there and the accountant was screaming at us saying you got to do something you got to make it pay for itself so um 
it was probably a fairly romantic idea, but we decided we'd go with, you know, opening a tapas bar. And that's where we are today. Yeah, so it's a beautiful building. So can you just describe a little bit to the listeners what it looks like? Yeah, so like I said, it, it is the former Church of Ireland in Kilorglan. Um, the building itself was constructed in 1816 and uh, a second extension in 1836. So it's, you know, it's an old building with a lot of history. It's two main naves, uh, beautiful stained glass windows, um, very atmospheric. You know, when we were doing the construction or the, the reconstruction, um, we put a, a lot of work into maintaining the beauty of the building. You know, it was always a beautiful building. We're really the caretakers of it for now. God knows what will be here in 100 years' time, but I'm sure it will be here long beyond us. So um, we, we did as little as necessary to make it into a food business. So it really is as it was, you know, 200 years ago or pretty much hopefully you know a lot of people come here their first initial reaction is wow my god how do you how do you do this and because there is really a very positive energy here so I think you have to see it to believe it the natural acoustic in the building is beautiful as well um yeah it is very very special I mean obviously it's a costly building to run but you know there we are (laughs) It's here now. (laughs) And in terms of tapas then, I know many people will be familiar with them, but can you just give us an idea of what what does a tapas mean? Well, a tapas comes from the verb tapar, which means to cover. And uh, in the early days back in Spain, um, at the ports, uh, in the old tavernas, the the bar people would pour the glass of wine and to keep the flies out, they put something small on top. Um, over time then that evolved to you know maybe a piece of bread with a piece of ham or a piece of cheese on it Um, and from there to now you know that has evolved to to mean absolutely anything so basically today tapas or a tapa is basically something to pick at while you're having a drink so like I said earlier you know in Spain you have whole streets of tapas bars and to go on the tapas, ear the tapas is uh, to go from one bar to another and have one tapa in each place while you're having a drink. So it's a fairly sociable uh, way of eating. In Soli Sombra, what we actually serve are raciones, which are actually larger tapas portions. They're designed for sharing. So all of our dishes will go in the center of the table and everybody will order. So you can come here or to any tapas bar, for that matter, for simply for a drink and something to nibble on or you can stay for a whole night and have a, a feast of grazing you know you can eat 10 things on the menu on the menu you know you can have as as little or as much as you want yeah so i've been with my um, husband previously and we might order maybe five or six tapas dishes and share between us can you give us an idea of a few items from the menu? Yeah, um, I suppose we have we have a mixture of very traditional, authentic Spanish dishes, and then along with a lot of businesses in Ireland, you know, there's a movement towards um, locally sourced artisan food producers. So we have we have a bit of both. So from sort of the traditional Spanish point of view, things like um, the chorizo, which is, you know, the chorizo sausage, that would be the one we're serving at the moment is Iberico, which comes from um, the black pig, 
and the acorn fed pig and um, we cook that in Bulmer cider that's very popular it's great for sharing you know, prawns cooked in garlic absolutely beautiful a very traditional classic dish although of course like the prawns would be local prawns the same with Valencia scallops you know they're the more expensive dishes then you know at the more entry level point you we have serrano ham which is similar to parma ham or prosciutto ham um that would be served on bread with tomato um we have a lot of vegetarian dishes you know there's a little bit of everything we've meat fish vegetables we cater for you know absolutely anything Every, anything goes really you know we all our dishes are designed for sharing, even though not everybody likes to share. A lot of Irish men don't yeah. like to share, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, people will mix and match. Uh, some people will share. Some people will have their own. Some people, you know, when we opened first, we only had tapas or raciones. Uh, and then in time, you know, we were getting feedback saying, oh, I'd love to go, but I can't go because my husband's a plain eater. So we've introduced a small range of more traditional main courses so it allows everybody to come and nobody has an excuse not to come yeah, so, so you know you can get them. yeah you can get a steak here for a plain eater you know so if there's a group of six and five want tapas great at least that last person can be catered for as well and the price range for the tapas then what do they start from? yeah um they go from 650 um and that would be you know one of our local artisan producers, Sauce to Sausages, do beautiful black and white pudding. So you, you get three tostadas with black and white pudding with brie and um, a homemade black currant conserve with those. So that's six fifty, and then right up to fourteen fifty would be our most expensive tapa, and that would be for you know Valencia scallops and uh, monkfish. You know, it, it might be more expensive, but it's still very good value. You know, relative to the price of the produce. And in terms of drink or beverages then served with tapas, what would be typical? Well, you've typical in Spain and you've typical in Ireland. In Spain, it really depends on where you are. You know, Spain is very regional and it's... Um, so if you're in the south of Spain, around Jerez, uh, typically you will see the people in the bars drinking manzanilla sherry or fino sherry and they will drink that for the whole night. You know, in Rioja, in the north of Spain, in the bars, they will have the local red and white wine. In Asturias, in the north, they'll typically drink cider all evening. You know, natural cider. Um, it, it, it and then the food will match those foods. So in Ireland, typically, uh, the tradition is to drink wine with food. We have a very extensive wine list. Uh, a lot of our wine list is Spanish, although it's not exclusively Spanish. We we have wines from all the you know usual countries france italy austria um south america argentina chile those places but also increasingly we're finding that a lot of customers are starting to eat with craft beers and ciders you know which is great again it's we can see more demand for local produce and irish produce which is great yeah Kilorglin would be a small enough town. What was the locals' reaction to you opening a tapas restaurant here? Yeah, it was unusual. All right. Now, I suppose Kilorglin is very lucky that it has a long tradition of um, quality restaurants. Um, so, you know, they're not strangers to good food. Uh, when we decided to turn this building into a tapas bar first, 
the word went out that we were opening a topless restaurant so <laughs> there was a bit of convincing the locals <laughs> that that was going to run yeah. but thankfully once we got over that I suppose at the beginning it was new for everybody you know especially this concept of sharing and you know even though people come here and they can you know have a first course and a second course and a third course it's not really set like starter main course and dessert like it is in with, with everything that we know up to now. Um, but we find that, like, people in Kilorgland now treat it as their own, and, you know, people refer to us as the tapas, you know, and they know when they come here, they can get what they want. They can have a starter main course and dessert, or they can, you know, they can have the genuine tapas experience. You mentioned earlier about the acoustics in the venue, and this is also used as a, a music venue. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, one night per month, we open Sully Sombra as a music venue, as you said. Uh, typically, we tend to have Irish singer-songwriters. You know, it'll never be a money spinner because it's just too small, but uh, they're special evenings. You know, the, the acoustic is fabulous. The audience are great. Apparently, we have one of the best audiences in Ireland, you know, for listening, sitting down and actually listening. And for listeners now who would like to find out a little bit more information about tapas in general and, you know, your menu, what type of foods you serve, um, what, what's the best place to go? Online, I suppose, is the easiest place if uh, before they come. Um, so our website is www.solisombra.ie or our Facebook page is uh, forward slash Solisombra Ireland because there's a lot of Solly Sombras. And can you just spell that for us? So Solly Sombras, S-O-L-Y-S-O-M-B-R-A. Very good. So one other thing we said we'd mention before we go is a food festival that's coming up in Kilorgan in September, and that's called the Flavour of Kilorgan. Yeah, it's great. It's a relatively new festival. Um, it's going into its third year now, and it's going from strength to strength. Um, so basically, it will be a weekend of food, and not just food. There's music. It's coinciding with a walking festival, so there'll be a lot of stuff happening during the day. On the Saturday, so on Saturday the 12th, or the 13th of September, excuse me, um, there will be a taste trail where all the restaurants in Kilorglan and in the areas around Kilorglan uh, will put their wares on the street. Everybody will get an opportunity to sample local produce or different types of cu- cuisine, you know, Spanish cuisine, Thai cuisine, Chinese um, even the takeaways like will be putting their wares on the street so it'll be absolutely fantastic there's a lot of chefs that will be taking part in doing workshops and talks there'll be a farmer's market so there'll be loads happening so if anybody wants to find out about a bit about, more about that um, they can visit the website uh, flavorofkilorglan.com great we'll pencil it in so for mid-september absolutely. so thanks very much for filling us in on tapas and uh, i think i'm going to go off now and have a, a few nibbles myself <laughs> <laughs> please do great thanks very much Geraldine, for okay. having me great thank you cheers chin chin salut Schleinte. It's not every day you're offered the opportunity to interview a chef who is the right hand of Michelle Rue Jr. So when I was asked by Taste of Dublin if I'd like to meet Monica Galetti, I jumped at the chance. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Tell the listeners how you're known. 
how I'm known. Yes. I, I like to be known as, as the smiley one of judging the MasterChef uh, professional series, I think. Uh, you know, uh, usually with, with Michelle, and obviously he's left now, but uh, we're still working together, doing lots of things together. That's Michelle Rue. In- Michelle Rue Jr., yeah. Um, so we still do a lot at the Gavroche together um, and outside of, of, of everything. But otherwise, I'm known as, uh, I'd like to think I'm known for to be the, the, the is it, uh, is it fierce but fair? <laughs> Strict but fair. That's a good description, I think. Yeah. yeah. Now, tell me, you work in Le Gavroche in London with Michel Rue Jr. And is it true that you just sent your CV to him on spec? Yes, yes, that's how it all sort of happened, isn't it? Life is, is it's kind of crazy like that. Um, over 15 years ago now, I sent my CV off to, you know, like the top places in London at the time or around the UK and Michelle was the first to reply and so I took uh, his offer as a first commie. And you've been there ever since? And On and off. I'd, I'd, I've left a couple of times and come back at different times of, of, of my career and then um, I'm still there. Well I bet I'm, I'm also self-employed so when I'm not so busy I, I, I go and spend some time there. And you worked your way up the ladder. You were the first woman in the restaurant to be on Meat and Fish. Meat and Fish, yes. Uh, seems a, a lifetime ago now. Um, you know, and uh, it, it's just uh, been a real privilege to voice those It's challenging, it's tough work, you know, and you really got to love it um, to, to work hard there. Do you think it's more of a challenge being female working in the industry? I don't think so. I think it just depends on the individual and then what you want. And at a certain point, women decide that, you know, um, they're done with having a career that's so selfish. They want time with their family and friends and they want time to make a family as well. Yeah. And you have a daughter yourself, yeah, Anae? I, I have a seven-year-old girl, Anae. And what's she like in the kitchen? She loves it. She absolutely loves cooking with me. She has her own little chef's jacket that she puts on when she comes to help out. Gets quite upset if I've started cooking without her. Um, but then again, you know, she's also just seven years old. She'll, she'll happily run off and play with her girlfriends when she can. And as a parent, I'm sure you face the same challenges as we all do whenever it comes to healthy eating and trying to get them to eat vegetables. Exactly. And More so when you become a parent, isn't it? I mean, we all go through stages as, 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 as adults, young adults, when you eat all the rubbish under the sky. And as soon as you have your own child, you're suddenly more aware of, of you know, how much salt is in their diet, how much vegetables they're getting in the week, you know, what they're eating when they're with friends and family. Um, you can't control it all, and you know I'm quite lax when you know what I don't see. She's eating. I've got to you know close my eyes to it <laughs> when she's away with friends and family. Yeah. And what's her favourite dinner that her mommy makes up for? Oh, I, I got to be mom. Mom makes the best spaghetti bowl, I think. Oh, lovely. Oh, lovely. <laughs> it's a bit of a competition in our household. You know, she's quite funny at playing off my husband and I against each other. Like if Daddy makes the, the spaghetti bowl, it's all oh, Daddy makes the best spaghetti bowl. You know, and then of course when mommy does it, it's, it's the opposite. <laughs> and the work-life balance then, because I'd say you're very busy with all these different roles that you have. How do you manage to, to make time for? It's that one, you know, as always as a working parent, you're going to be torn at some point. You know, there's always going to be guilt that there's not enough time spent with your child, you know. Um, uh, but work comes and goes in, in different paces. You know, at the moment, I'm a full-on filming, um, Gavosh in between. Um, and then shows like this and, and, and traveling and, and that in between. So it's, it's going to be quite busy for, until August. So I balance it with uh, really good childminders <laughs> and my husband. Between the two of us, um, I, I feel more at ease when she's with my husband, obviously. Um, so we try to balance it that either one of us is with her most of the time. 
In terms of travelling then, you've travelled quite a lot. Do you feel that that is very important for a young person that's considering entering a career in the hospitality industry? Hugely so. You know, I always encourage even my boys now when they say, look, chef, you know, I'm thinking of leaving. I say, what are you going to do? And they say they want to travel for it. And I say, that's great. Go and do it. You know, get it out of your system. Go and see something different. Um, and I think it just gives you a, a more open mind about what goes on in different countries and, and what's happening in food in general. And Michelle Rue Jr. sent you to Mauritius. Yes, he did, <laughs> amongst many other places. But Mauritius was one of them. Uh, I was the head chef there for just over a year. Um, you know, what an experience to go and do an actual opening um, of a restaurant. Of it. And then on the other side of the world, can be more challenging than that. But, you know, my husband and I both took loads away from it. You know, what an experience. And now we have a child, I'd say, please send us back. <laughs> and your husband is in the industry as well. He is. He's the head sommelier at, Le, at the Gavoche. So, unfortunately, my daughter's grown up with good food and, and good wine. <laughs> She's a lucky girl, isn't she? Yeah, she enjoys eating out quite a bit, actually. <laughs> now, I read an interview that you did in 2010, and in it, it asked you about your five-year plan, which would be next year. Is it really? Yes. Oh, I feel old. <laughs> and your ambition then was for you and your husband to open your own place, maybe in Australia or Oh, in not France. in Australia, no. Um, it, I mean, yeah, I would like a, another Australia or France, and it still hasn't come around. Um, you know, our priority at the moment is trying to make work that we have fit around our daughter. And, you know, for us to open something, as much as it's our dream, it's got to fit around an ace. And I don't want her to take second fiddle to, to our ambitions, you know, never. So, you know, if the right um, uh, backer was to come along and then put something forward that we could all uh, work towards, that would be an amazing thing to achieve. And you're based in London at the moment, but you're here in Dublin. Have you any experience of the wonderful Irish ingredients? Um, <laughs> non-alcoholic ones oh Guinness was a good one isn't mine? <laughs> you know it's been actually exactly 15 years since I was last in Dublin um, uh, when I was first started traveling uh, and I came to the UK Dublin was, was where I came for three days with it was for three or four days and you know do the whole bus tour and everything and I said you know we definitely got to come back and it's been 15 years wow it's, it's just been absolutely amazing to be back here now but I think one of my favorite ingredients to cook with it's got to be Guinness yeah <laughs> it is I'd say you're not alone in that no I'm not and a bit of a swig for the chef at the same time as well yeah yeah <laughs> now I would imagine many of my listeners have not had the privilege or the opportunity of eating in Le Gavroche so tell me what would a diner expect to to see on the menu there and what would the overall experience be for them um i normally you know we, we work a very seasonal menu um and we also try to keep uh, certain classic dishes from when uh, the rue brothers were still there albert and and michelle senior um the food now it's also much lighter there's a lot of influence i love michelle rue jr allows a lot of influence from us uh, younger <laughs> chefs you know to, to to have our say on the menu but it's, it's about being pampered you know coming in and letting the staff take over and you'd feel back sit back and enjoy being pampered it's meant to be a treat uh, well i'd say no it's not cheap is it well we do but a very, we do a very good lunch money. menu yeah, value for money you get value for money you get what you pay for exactly. i'm sure yeah. but as you say it is a treat what about if somebody wants to make a reservation what's the lead-in time there um it's normally we re re we release bookings um three months in advance okay. yeah but that's always good or you to get know. to know someone really well okay i'm just giving you yeah. a little wink there now monica just a little wink there i slide my card in your in your bag <laughs> now you have a book 
Tell yes, us I do. about your book. Oh wow, it's already come up, coming up to two years since I, I've done that. It was the first book I did, um, and I found it, you know, quite challenging—a uh, huge challenge to, to switch from being a chef who understands just adding ingredients and touching meat and, and fish, knowing it's ready like that. And then when you have to write a book, you've got to actually measure things <laughs> you know and and describe what sort of heat setting you need it for the average cook and and it took me a while to adjust to that way of thinking and and now I'm working on the second book it's so much easier to think right you know sear in a very hot pan on a medium low heat <laughs> it's, it's um it's things that you I think you take for granted as a chef you know uh, and that's why I guess we, we do books and people want to understand and and learn the tricks that we know Whenever you talk now about ingredients and measuring them out, uh, the minister here, the health minister in Ireland, wants to bring in legislation where restaurants actually have to display the calories for each dish. Good luck with that. As you can imagine, it has not been well received no, by no. the No, well, is he on a special diet? Is it 2,000 calories per day? Well, I think he feels that it will help reduce the issues with obesity in the country. Really? What's your view of having calories on menus? I think it's not something that I would be happy to do, you know. And especially in, in certain high-end restaurants, people go out to to enjoy food, you know. Like I say, it's, a, it's an experience. It's, it's about, you know, spoiling yourself, and no one wants to know about the calories if that's what they're doing. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's... it's quite crackers actually it's not something that I'd be happy to do do you think there's a place for it for example in fast food restaurants definitely in fast food restaurants you know um, uh, quite a few of them out there need to you know make it known to people what they're eating you know these burgers and fries you know that sort of food yes I think they should have it but that's why they you know there's issues with obesity isn't it well you're here in Taste of Dublin to cook up which I would imagine are nicely full of calorie dishes tell us what you're going to be demonstrating to the audience I, I, I'm making one of my dishes which I originally made with Guinness um, and, and then I've switched it <laughs> but uh, I, I'm doing a beetroot uh, and citrus cured salmon um, serving it with a horseradish cream uh, and buttermilk dressing uh, on a maple syrup soda bread lovely very Irish there yeah, there yeah. we go <laughs> well before we let you go to that I have a quick fire round for you I'm going okay. to say two things and you have to say whichever one you feel appeals to you more okay Okay. so wine or water wine meat or fish no that's, that, that, that's oh, let's go meat <laughs> salt or pepper pepper butter or margarine butter reservation or walk-in reservation Chocolate fondue or chocolate mousse? Chocolate fondue. Breakfast or dinner? Dinner. <laughs> Saturday kitchen or great British menu? Or MasterChef? MasterChef. <laughs> <laughs> Professionals. <laughs> chips or potatoes? Oh, it can't be good chips, though. <laughs> Monica, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and thanks so much for taking the time. Enjoy the rest Real of your pleasure. stay in Dublin. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. My list of to-go-to restaurants is growing steadily and I really hope that I get to visit Le Gavroche on my next visit to London. Another one on the list is Ox in Belfast that is just sweeping the board with awards and positive reviews and I met chef owner Stephen Toman on my last trip to Belfast. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. 
So Stephen, you're opened just over a year now. You're taking the restaurant world by storm, I'd say. You're just racking up those awards daily. How does that make you feel? Oh, it's great. It's, it's great to be recognised for all the hard work you put in, but um, we're all, as a team, we're very excited every day. You know, it's new produce coming in, and new ingredients and new dishes going on, and it's always changing. So, yeah, we're all super excited. Well, let's talk about ingredients, because on your website you have a page, it's called The Ox Larder. Yes. Explain that to us. I just wanted to give people who, you know, were thinking about coming and checking out the restaurant, just to see, you know, what kind of things we're we're building our dishes on that month, you know, what's at its best and kind of how we go about creating the menu and the in, the dishes that goes on that day is just based on what we have to work with. And it also says on the website, dining with seasonal creativity. Yeah. Well, again, we let Mother Nature dictate the, the menu, you know, I, it's all printed in-house, so if say one day we're using courgette flowers and they're not the best quality, I can quickly change to peas or asparagus and, you know, with our own experience we know what works and what doesn't work so we'll be creative on the spot but it's kind of we're made to be creative it's kind of creates better food if you ask me that approach to using seasonal vegetable does that stem from your time in larpege in france yeah not just there it was a huge factor in it but also just any restaurant that worked in was kind of based on seasonal food you know a good restaurant does pay attention to what's on their own doorstep and what's at its best less less hermes on the, the food and just even supporting the local farmers and growers around you. So it's all a big circle we're just trying to create. Now, Larpege, I'll just explain to the, the listeners, is a three-star Michelin uh-huh. restaurant in Paris. Yeah. And it's Alan Passard that yeah. is the yeah. head honcho there. And you actually had him over in Ox earlier on this year. Yes, Monsieur Passard, he came over to do a charity night uh, in the for Little Heart Foundation. Um, it was a surprise menu, so we've done three courses of his classics and three dishes from Ox and we, we mix it up a bit and the customers absolutely loved it. It's, it's an open kitchen so the customers were able to see the master at work and they got to meet him and have a glass of wine with him, it was fantastic. And who was the boss in the kitchen that night? Um, uh, He's always the boss. <laughs> but that was a huge honour for you that he came over to do that. Oh, it's a huge privilege, you know, it's once in a lifetime, it's the biggest thing I'll ever achieve is having the chef come into my kitchen and kind of help us out and us create his food for him is fantastic. Because you must have a very good relationship with him that he would agree to do that. We do and I know a lot of the guys work for him still and um, Alan as well, my partner in the restaurant, he has a fantastic relationship with Larpage and Alain Passard, he, he was his right hand man for many years too so yeah we're, we're all kind of friends with the restaurant and they're, they're friends with us. So. Which is it's great. Yeah it's great, it's great to have links over in Paris still. Yeah. And other experience then, you were working in Belfast for a few years before you... Yeah, I worked in Belfast and travelled for two years around America and Paris. Um, I lived in Arizona, Scottsdale. Again, my emphasis on produce was kick-started there also because the, the produce we were using was absolutely out of this world. We were using stuff now that... We were using stuff then that I've only seen come to surface now, the micro-veg and micro-herbs. We were using 10... 12 years ago and it was cutting edge then, you know, it was so ahead of its time. And when did the idea for Ox come about? Ox's been on the cards for a long time, you know, I always knew I wanted to open my own restaurant, it was always the plan. And I started to look for sites and stuff and would we discovered this site and myself and Alan are good friends, we'll work together in Paris, that's where we met and we always had a, 
our same ethos on food and what we believed in and trying to create a relaxed environment so this site came up and it was originally a tile shop before we got it so we had to do a full refurb and change the whole whole layout of the building but it was good because we were able to start from how we meant to go on and create something we we believed in. It's in a super part of Belfast just along the banks of the Lagan and the waterfront is one direction, the Odyssey is uh, another direction. So do you find your trade is very touristy or locals or a mix of the two? It's a total mix, you know, lunchtime where we get a lot of people, you know, business lunch and Saturday's a great day for the shoppers come in. It's just lots of shopping bags around and, you know, casual lunch is a bit more slower pace from people sitting on. Um, night time you might get people going to the shows or concerts and then you have people out celebrating occasions and people just out for a quick main course and away they go. Do you find you have um, a lot of regulars? We've developed a lot of regulars and friends already and we're open just over a year and already we've, we've a lot of names and faces we recognise and they know the chefs and they know the, the waiters and the waitresses so yeah it's, it's a lot of regulars so far. Now you mentioned there that it used to be a tile shop and that you had to do a refurb. What was the, the vision that you had for the restaurant in terms of the appearance of it? We just wanted to strip it right back. Um, it had the look structure but at the same time we wanted to really make it casual. Um, we wanted to put all our energy and attention into the service, the food and the wine. You know, we, did, we don't have any artwork on the walls with massive windows and the skyline changes throughout the day, colours, the, the lightness of the room, so we believe that's our art. And also what's on the plate is the colours of the room, but the room itself is just simple, enjoyable to sit in, but you just want to sit and look out onto the river. It, it takes a lot more than just somebody that can cook fantastic food to, to open a successful restaurant. There is a lot of thought goes into the, the decor, as you've said, yeah. the furniture. And the marketing as well of the restaurant is something like you've a very impressive website. Do you delegate a lot of that, or do you know yourself what you're aiming for? No, myself and Alan kind of we're we're in charge. We we do it all ourselves. Um, we've uh, people help us out with the social media. It's also Hannah's kind of helps out. And as for the the furniture and the style of the place, we went with our concept and our idea to Oscar Oscar, and their architects in the town have done a few restaurants and their vision as well just kind of matched our thoughts and it just gelled perfectly you know it created something special because obviously the financial side of it the administrative side of it the marketing and then just getting the food yeah, out on that there's a lot to juggle there and whenever you're a chef owner and alan then is the is your partner and is the sommelier so he has all the knowledge whenever it comes to the wine cellar yeah. But you must spend a lot of time outside of the kitchen attending to those other matters. Yeah, it's, you know, the first year was all about trying to learn how to work the two together. You know, I've been a chef for so many years and know how the kitchen works. I'm at ease in the kitchen. So this was all new to me, like, you know, from going to being a head chef to having 16 staff that work for you, you know, it's a, it's a huge jump. So I quickly had to learn how to adapt and be resourceful. And, you know, it's a learning curve for all of us, but Again, it's a challenge that I wanted my whole career, so now I'm finally here and I'm relishing it. And it's all going well. It's going well, it's going great. As the awards have all proven, and mm -hmm. a few weeks ago you had a huge party in for the Great Taste Awards. Yes. We're in Belfast, and uh, do you find that more stressful than catering from the normal Joe blogs, or is everybody just treated the same? 
everybody's everybody's treated the same, but of course you're you know it's more stressful when uh, professional food critics and stuff come in. You know, obviously you're only human. You do kind of question what you're going to do that night and kind of really overthink it sometimes. But I think now a year into it, we're kind of at ease what we do and we're confident and we believe in the product. And that night there was 20 of them, so we had to feed 20 people at once. Plus the room was full downstairs, so you know. It's a huge push, but it's a great, great sense of achievement at the end of it. Do you get time yourself to go out and about and try other restaurants? Unfortunately, I don't. I never get a chance. Um, I'm here every day, uh, do big hours in the restaurant, and Sundays a day just kind of recharging the batteries, and then Monday I just look after my daughter, so you know, then you're back at it again. The week starts all over again, so unfortunately, I don't get to many restaurants, but I would like to. I would like to eat out more. Did you get down to the restaurant awards yourself? We did. I drove it. We went down that evening and drove straight back afterwards. And that was an opportunity to taste dishes from uh-huh. different chefs. Which was your favourite course? Oh, I'll get in trouble for that. Um, there were so many good dishes. I loved the starter from me and Or. It was delicious. But also there was a, a lovely face dish. That was Tom Flavin, Strand Hotel in Limerick. Oh, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. The, I'd met the lady who'd done the heron. Birgitta. Uh, oh no, Kirsty from Silver Darlings yeah, is Silver the Darlings. heron. I'd met yeah. her at the Ballymiddle Lit Fest. Oh yeah. That plate of food, it looked beautiful and it tasted so fresh. I loved it and the smoked salmon was fantastic. I'm sure Tom will be listening now, no, so he'll be pleased to hear now. that. Tom would regularly come in now and do slots for us in well, the programme. Well, I should be so very that's... proud of what he'd done because it was for 800 people or so. and do that level of food for that many people for a play. And what's your vision for the restaurant now? Where do you hope to, to see it going to? Um, just to be consistent and do what we do and stay the same, you know. We, we never let, let the levels slip, but at the same time, we don't want to just change it up too much, you know. It has to stay with its own identity, you know. We have to keep it as it is because it's what people have accepted and supported and you know, the hardest thing is consistency in a restaurant. We just want to create a space that's casual, focus on the food and service and wine, and just a relaxed environment for the customer. And what would you say to any listeners in West Limerick that are thinking about coming up to Belfast for a bit of a holiday? I should check it out. Belfast is buzzing at the minute, you know, not just us, there's so many new restaurants opened up around town. Um, great chefs coming back from travels, and the food scene's amazing at the minute. It really is. It's a fantastic place to be right now. Stephen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Continued success and thanks so much for your time. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. I'm delighted to say I'll be ticking Ox Belfast off my list of places to visit when I go to Belfast for the August bank holiday weekend. I can't wait to try out Stephen's culinary delights. But before then, there are lots of events taking place that I can enjoy, and so can you. A couple of weeks ago, we had Helen McDeed from Fulcher Ireland on the programme to tell us all about the food events taking place during the month of July. If you'd like to hear that interview again, just log on to soundcloud.com and look for Food and Drink Show. You can also check out Discover ireland.ie forward slash food and there's a listing of events up there some other events that might be of interest tomorrow night Mark Doe from Just Cooking is running a barbecue demo 7 o'clock until 9.30pm the website for more info is justcooking.ie it's summer barbecue fiesta party time at the Clarion Hotel on Friday night it's 15 euros and Hawaiian shirts are welcome very important piece of information check out clarionhotellimerick.com 
This Saturday, the 26th of July, the Celiac Society of Ireland has teamed up with the Mila Gallery in City West to host a gluten-free cooking demonstration. It's a combination of hands-on and demonstrations. That's half ten in the morning until 12.30. And you can get more info if you look up the website, milagallery.ie. That's all we have time for this evening on The Best Possible Taste. If you missed any of the programme tonight or a previous one, you'll find it all up in soundcloud.com. Just have a look for Food and Drink Show and you'll see us there. Thanks for joining me tonight to producer Gerlino Sullivan and of course all of tonight's guests. Until next Tuesday when we've a very special interview with Duan native John Relihan who's enjoying a fabulous career chefing with Jamie Oliver in London. Have a great week and uh, until then bon appetit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!